The number one reason why people don't come to church, it's not because of Jesus. A lot of people don't have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with churches. Okay? Right? Am I right? What do you hear all the time from people when you try to bring them to church? Oh, man, I'm just not into religion. Right? I'm just not into that. That's not my kind of thing. That's not my cup of tea. I'm not into these rules. I'm not into this religion. How many of you get that every time? Right? Maybe you're trying to invite a friend from school to church or whatever. You know, that's usually a typical response. Or even if you're just trying to strike up a conversation, right, about Jesus. And that's because, unfortunately, the word religion, and relig- that is what has become known about the church, right? And today I want to teach about bad religion. Say bad religion. And I'm going to dive right into this. I'm so excited. And honestly, it's been great today. I'm so thankful for this. As I'm getting started, I think it's very important that, that we define what we mean by religion, okay? And I gave this analogy um, today because I think this is very important. Um, I was talking to a few young men that, that um, I have the privilege of discipling. And one day, I started asking them questions. Because sometimes you take for granted that, you, that everybody understands, right? For instance, we have words in our terminology and vernacular that we use in the church all the time. And we think that everybody understands what we mean, but sometimes we need to redefine them so that there's understanding, right? For instance, I was talking to the young men, and I said, okay, we mentioned that word kingdom of lot, kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of, you know. And I asked the young man, I said, explain to me what that means to you. And he said, I, you know, I really don't know. I just use it because we all, you, just, you see what I'm trying to say? Is you'd be surprised how many people use a term that they don't really know what it means, but they use it because it's popular, right? So we have to define things for people to understand. And so right now, this, this word religion is a very hot topic. How many of you have seen the poem? It's a spoken word on YouTube by a man named Jefferson. Uh, it was called, Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. Has anyone seen that? A few. A lot of the young people have. It got 25 million hits on YouTube. And the young man got a book deal and there's several books out right now, and you know, on, on Facebook and on Twitter, when you see young, especially young Christians tweeting, there's a phrase that you always hear, and it says, they say, I don't want religion, I want relationship. That's a very good statement to make. But what does that mean? Okay, and so let's let's I want to jump right into this. Can you put up James chapter 1, verse 27? I'm gonna start at 27 in this service, Rob. It says, pure and undefiled. Say pure. pure. Say undefiled. It says pure and undefiled religion before God. Now, just stop right there. The Bible's using the word religion, right? So I can't actually get up here and tell you that the word religion is a bad word. The word religion is not a bad word. Religion literally means a set of beliefs, credences, right? So the word in and of itself is not a bad word. It's what religion has become that is bad, okay? A lot of people get hung, uh, there's a lot of debate over that. Like even on the YouTube video, I was seeing a lot of people were pointing out the scripture and they were right in doing so because the word is not bad. It's what it has become that is bad. Because James says, pure religion, undefiled before God, is taking care of widows and orphans, um, visiting orphans and taking care of widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world, right? To keep one set apart. So we're not talking about the word today. We're talking about a bad religious system that has evolved into something that it wasn't meant to, right? 
So now we've defined it. Now, let me give you my simple definition of what religion is. Now, I'm not preaching this as doctrine, as truth, or I'm not saying you even have to believe me, but this is my personal opinion about what religion is. My personal thought is this. Religion is the misrepresentation of, the, of God, his character, his nature, and his truth. It's the misrepresentation of God, his character, his nature, and his truth. Notice that it says pure and undefiled. It means that somewhere along the line, if religion goes bad, it means that it was defiled by something. What was it defiled by? And if you were the enemy, let me ask you this question. If you were the enemy trying to get Christianity as a whole off the right path, what would you do? Would you create something entirely new or would you defile something that's already pure? right you know the the enemy the enemy even though he's a defeated foe he has the same tactics right when when, when the enemy comes to Adam and Eve in the garden and says eat of this fruit you'll be like God they were already like God so what does the enemy do okay deception cannot exist without truth deception is truth mixed with lies this is what religion is I would say that the thing that's most dangerous about bad religion is that it's almost right Okay? It's, a, it's about, you know, a percentage of it's right, but then it's that curveball that it throws on the end that's so destructive. The, bad, the dangerous thing about bad religion is that it looks right and it's almost right, but it's not. Amen. One of the things that, do we have any nurses and doctors in the, in the house? Wave at me. Anybody work in a hospital? There's a term, and you know, I'm hoping I'm saying it right. It's called itrogenic illness. Has anyone heard of an itrogenic illness? It's basically this. It's when they give you something that's meant to cure you, but it ends up killing you. Can you put up Exodus chapter 23, verse 19? So basically what happens is this. If they give you a medication to help you, some people have reactions to medication, and some people even die. Another example is this, is that some people need blood infusions, and when they're given the blood infusions, the blood is contaminated, so they become sick and die, right? What was meant to bring life brings death. This is what, this is what God told Israel in Exodus chapter 23, verse 19. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Now, can I just speak plain? Anybody ever wonder at some of the stuff you read in the Bible? <laughs> you know when you just read certain stuff, you're just like, oh, that's, that's a little weird, you know? <laughs> uh, that's a little odd, you know? And what happens is sometimes, especially in the Old Testament, because, and, I, and I'm saying this respectfully, I'm not saying we all do this, but because a lot of New Testament believers don't appreciate the Old Testament, we sometimes miss the meaning. Because we'll read something like this and we'll say, oh, that's just another rule that God gave. No, it's not just another rule. There was a, there's a specific meaning behind this. Because he said, don't cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Why? Because the milk used to give life to the goat. And he said, don't use what's meant to bring life to bring death. It's the principle, right? Sometimes we think God is just being a taskmaster and giving us more things. But no, there's, a specific, there's things that he teaches us through these things, right? Say amen. amen. Now, I love Jesus. <laughs> we all do, right? That's why we're here, right? And the thing that I love about Jesus is that he was so, not only was, 
you know, if you excuse me for not being so spiritual, I think he was bad to the bone, seriously. He was a cool person. Let me tell you why. This guy was sharp. He was awesome. In so many ways. And we understand that fundamentally, what was his first mission? Salvation, to die on the cross for our sins, right? But I, what, we all know that. What I've come to talk about today is I, what I believe his second mission was. That was to destroy bad religion. And I want to show you some of the text of the New Testament and things that are woven in and out of them that maybe sometimes we miss. And I'm going to also provide some cultural context for it, okay? Now, here's a question. When we think of religion in the New Testament, who do we think of right away? Pharisees, right? When I... Think about it. When you're thinking about a good example of someone who's religious, who do you think of? Oh, Pharisee. We even say it to each other in the church. Oh, they're just a Pharisee, right? Am I right? Come on. Let's. <laughs> but you know that I realized a couple weeks ago that I have talked about, I've preached sermons on these guys. I've heard hundreds of sermons about how bad they were, and then I realized I don't even know that much about them, so I ought to, I ought to look into it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I want to provide a little historical context to who the Pharisees were because they're such a good representation of bad religion. Now, there's a book out, and I don't have the author's name in my mind, forgive me, but the book is called Accidental Pharisee. And I want to present to you today, see, and, and, and usually... If we were to be truthful, whenever we're speaking on a subject like this, the first thing that comes to our mind is we want to think about somebody who's been a Pharisee to us. But we never want to think about who we've been a Pharisee to. And I didn't read the book, but I like the cover because it says accidental Pharisee. We can become a Pharisee on accident, and I'm about to show you why, because it happened to them. The Pharisees showed up four centuries before Jesus was around. They were an established group. There, by definition in Hebrew, the word means set apart. Set apart for the work of God. These men did not start off bad. They started off right. They started off in great devotion, right? Like most denominations, like most religious structures, they start off with pure intentions, but they end up somewhere else. This is going to be good today because I'm telling you, this was good for me. This transformed my understanding of even Jesus' ministry. So these Pharisees are around, right? And so by definition, another term that they were also called in their day in English, they were called separatists, meaning they were called out, separated for the work of God. They were a very strict, hard line, what we would call denomination nowadays in our terminology, right? Now, one of the things that um, as... Gentile believers, and when I say Gentile, I mean most of us in here aren't from Jewish origin. Am I right? Wave your hand if you're not Jewish, right? Most of us, we fall under that category of Gentiles, what the Bible calls Gentiles, right? Yeah. Not from the nation of Israel, but we're grafted in through, the, through, through Jesus, right? Okay. Well, I have a friend <clears throat> that is a convert from Judaism to Christianity. And he told me something one time. He said, there's something interesting. He, and he said, there's something you miss, a lot of Christians miss. He said, I said, what is that? He said, he goes, we have two Torahs. Say Torah. Torah is just a word meaning instructions. It's the first five books of the Old Testament, right? Torah. Say Torah. Now, Israel was given the Torah at Mount Sinai, okay? It's everything contained in there. And so 
He says, but what a lot of people don't realize is, is we have two Torahs. We have the written Torah and we have the oral Torah. And I said, what is the oral Torah? He said, well, he said later on the rabbis decided that we couldn't understand it, so they decided that they would interpret for us and rewrite it. I would like to present to you today that this is where religion began. And let me first say up front, no one can substitute a relationship with God for you. Everyone is called to know God, to walk with God, to read his word. Okay? This is, this is the New Testament. This is part of our covenant in the New Testament. That it's the priesthood of all believers. We have gifts in the body of Christ like pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, and apostles because they're specifically gifted to teach, to train, and to equip, but they're not there to replace a relationship with God for you. Okay? And so what happened was they began to rely heavily on these rabbis' interpretations. Many of us have heard of this oral Torah. It's called the Talmud. Anybody have heard of this? Wave at me. Okay? Basically, it was the oral interpretations from the rabbis. So what happened was by the time they started these traditions up until Jesus' time, by then the rabbis had inserted not just hundreds, thousands of commandments and instructions that God never gave Israel. It's very important to understand that, that these men misinterpreted scripture and, and fed it to people as if it was a commandment from God. And let me say this, it is dangerous when you let somebody teach you something about God that you can't find in the Bible. Am I, am, amen. Seriously, I'm being totally serious. Is that sometimes we take things for granted. We, we need to test everything. Seriously. We shouldn't believe everything that we hear every day, all day. Even if it is from Christian TV or Christian media, you've got to know the word of God for yourself. Amen. And so we've often labeled Jesus a rebel. Now, I would agree to a certain extent, but instead of calling him a rebel, I would instead call him a revolutionary. Let me explain. Jesus was, was not rebelling against God's commandments. He was rebelling against man's traditions. Because it wouldn't make any sense because Jesus was God in the flesh. First, I mean, Colossians, uh, I mean, 115, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. We know that here, all right? He was God. He wrote it. So why would he come to destroy his instructions? Let me explain. We need to explain this very popular scripture that we miss all the time. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets, not to destroy them. Right? Here, it's going to be good here in a second. There's a movement in Christianity today that would tell us that the Old Testament is void. That's a lie. That's a lie from the pit. Listen to, that's one of the greatest deceptions. Listen to me. The greatest deception trying to creep into the church. The day that America started declining is when we took the Ten Commandments out of our court system. Because, G, because God said in Deuteronomy, he said, I set before you blessings and curses, life and death. And he was talking about his commandments. And so what happened was Jesus came to fulfill. We know that Jesus fulfilled the feast days and the rituals and different things like that. And that they have symbolic references. But how many know that some of the commandments transferred over to the New Testament? Like the Ten Commandments. We still don't lie. We still don't murder. Is, right? Am I right? Even Paul the Apostle, okay, I'll, I'll use the Paul the Apostle as my reference. He said in the New Testament, he said the commandment with promise is that you honor your mother and your father. Well, if, the, if all the Old Testament was done away with, why is he preaching from it? 
Another example, just to prove my point, when the Bible says that all scripture is given for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and all that, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. So where were they, what scriptures were they reading? They were reading the Old Testament. Because you ought to see Christ in all of scripture, right? Okay. So what Jesus did was he wasn't rebelling against his own instructions, but he was fulfilling them, but he was intentionally rebelling against the law of the Pharisees. Which was, listen, there needs to be a distinction, was not even God's law. Can I put up hmm, Jeremiah chapter 31? Yeah, thank you, man. You're on it, Rob. But this is, say is, the new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my what? He's prophesying into the New Testament. Okay, we're going to talk about this. In their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, where did God want? That word law is mistranslated. It's not law. The word is Torah. It means instruction. So he said, I will write my instructions on their, where? Minds and hearts. In Hebrew, mind and heart go hand in hand. And so Jesus was saying, it's been on stones. It's been correctly misinterpreted. And now they ended up with bad religion. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to come, fulfill it, teach them the real way, die on the cross, remove the penalty for breaking it, and then I'm going to send my spirit on Pentecost, baptize them, and then I will write my truth on their hearts so no longer will a rabbi be able to misinterpret it. Listen, I'm like, I feel like Paul. I speak in tongues more than you all. But let me tell you something. If you think you're filled with the Holy Spirit just to speak in tongues, you're missing out. The Holy Spirit fills you with tongues, but he also leads you into all truth. And, and he's there with you every step of the way. He's a helper, a comforter. I'm telling you, he is there all the time. Because he said, I'm sick of people destroying my word. And he said, he said, in those days, they won't be able to do this because he said, my people, my sheep will know my voice. Matthew chapter 25, verse 37 through 38. This is just to prove more that Jesus believed in the Old Testament. He quotes the Torah here. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your Where's that from? The commandments, right? So let's talk about some of these commandments that the Pharisees made up. I want, I want to get into this. I like this. I'm like Jesus. Honestly, this is, this is about the only thing that really irritates the fire out of me is when I see this rise up in Christianity. And it should, by the end of this message, I hope it does too, because you'll see that what bad religion does is it puts more burdens on people, and it keeps them from Jesus, and it keeps them trapped in a system that's going nowhere. Okay? Here's an example. The, 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 the Pharisees show up one day, and they say, Jesus, ha. You know, they're always looking to catch him, and you know what? They, they, they just weren't smart. Because they knew the scriptures, but how many people know, just because you know the scriptures does not mean that you understand them. To, to know the scriptures and to understand them are two different things. So they showed up being smart, Alec, thinking they were going to, you know, with their religious, bad religious mindset and saying, Jesus, Peter didn't wash his hands. 
And Jesus said, you're mad because he's transgressing the traditions of your elders? He didn't say God. He said your elders. Because God never gave a commandment that we had to wash our hands before we eat. Now, is it a good idea to wash your hands before you eat? Yes. But did he command it? No. Jesus comes. Jesus comes to the uh, to. I mean, the Pharisees come to Jesus and his disciples and said, oh, you healed on the Sabbath? And Jesus said, you know what, guys? This is to reiterate that you can know the Bible and not understand it. In another verse, he had accused the um, Pharisees of this. He says, you know the law, but you don't understand the weightier things of the law. He said, which are mercy and justice. Which shows me that in the scriptures, you can't just take one verse and create a whole belief system on one verse. You have to interpret scripture with scripture and put them next to each other and see what it means, okay? Let me tell you, listen, let me tell you how bad religion has started. Isolated verses in scriptures everywhere that people don't even know what they're really about because they don't understand the entire narrative of the Bible, okay? So this is what happens. They come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you broke the Sabbath. He didn't break the Sabbath. He looked at them. He said, you, 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 ooh, you, you don't understand. He says, the Sabbath, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. In other words, this was what he was saying. I'm not breaking the Sabbath by having mercy on somebody and healing them. He said, you should be doing the same thing. Because Sabbath is all about resting. How can someone rest if they're in pain? And what he was saying is, is that a person takes priority over the Sabbath because the Sabbath was created for them. And what, see, this is an example of how religion misinterprets scripture. And you know what Jesus was doing? This is what they did in their day. They had a thing, and they, many people do it nowadays, called fencing the Torah. For instance, if there was a law here, okay, so let's just say there was a commandment. They said, okay, we don't want people to break this commandment, so we'll create two commandments out here so they don't even come close to this commandment. That is not right. This is how people are enslaved and trapped because you shouldn't have to tell people what the, you shouldn't have to train people to jump through hoops. You should have to just teach people to love the Lord and let them in their own heart decide to obey them. Nowhere does the scriptures give us authority to put extra burdens on people that God didn't commission. If God didn't commission it, don't teach it. That is how religion is started. You, you, do you know that the, because the and Pharisees interpreted the Sabbath day wrong, they taught that on the Sabbath you could only walk a certain distance and you couldn't even lift up something more. They actually put a measurement on how many ounces you could lift up. Now let me ask you a question. Did God tell them that or did they tell themselves that? This is the essence of how religion is started. It's when, when systems start replacing relationships with God, misunderstanding runs rapid, then deception runs rapid. And the, the, the dangerous part about it is, as much of this deception, they, pe people will back up with scripture that's misinterpreted. I have had people quote to me doctrinal statements that were misinterpreted because they don't understand the original word in the Greek. It means totally different than what they think. You know, it's sad. It's sad. That's why we need a, a good balance in the church. We need truth, but we need to get away from this false sense of, you understand what I'm trying to say? We have to look for real truth. Real truth. Because I'm telling you, it's keeping generations from the church. Bad theology and bad doctrine is keeping generations from the church. Like, can I move on? So we kind of understand the difference now, right? Between 
the oral Torah and the written Torah, right? The, 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 the commandments that God gave and the commandments that men gave, right? And Jesus, I'm telling you, if you look at Jesus, he was cool, calm, calm, collective in just about every story. He's in a storm, a boat hits. You know, I, mean, I mean, the storm hits the boat. The disciples are freaking out. Jesus is sleeping. When did Jesus get mad? When the Pharisees came around. Why? Because he represented everything that it wasn't meant to be. They represented everything it wasn't meant to be. In fact, one time he sat down and made a whip. Now, I don't know if you've ever made a whip. I haven't, okay? I don't even know how to make a whip. That would be pretty cool, okay? I wish I knew how to make a whip, but I don't. I don't know how to make anything. My generation is not as handy as the previous generations used to make. We call people to do that for us, right, you know? But Jesus sat down, made some, makes a whip, which means that he premeditated this. And then he goes in the temple and whips them all out. These are the only people he seemed to be bothered by. He was more comfortable with sinners. Okay, now, now I'm getting to what I've came to talk about today. He was more comfortable hanging around sinners than people who thought they were righteous, who, were, who knew the Bible, memorized the Bible, were in church every Sunday, looked good on the outside, but he said, I'd rather be around sinners than you. Why, though? Why? Why? Now I get into what I've come to preach, and i got 15 minutes. Can I have 15 more minutes? I used, I used to have a problem with, with David in the Bible. I used to. Because I used to read stories about Enoch being taken up, Elijah being taken up in a whirlwind. And I used to think, God, you could have picked probably a better person than David because he sure does make a lot of mistakes. Why did you choose David to build your house? I'll never forget what the, what the Holy Spirit told me. He said, because the yes in David's heart was always louder than any mistake he made. Because here's the thing. Listen, religion can only see surface deep. They can only see the mistakes that people make. They can't see the potential of the person. This is why Jesus changed everything. I'm about to explain this. Jesus would rather a David who has his struggles because in the end, David is going to end up better than a Pharisee. He doesn't mind certain people going through certain processes. If that offends you, it should offend you because Jesus offends our theology. He doesn't mind people having to go through certain things. And he would rather that than somebody who's faking it. Am I keep, I'm, 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 I really am. I, I have noticed this about Jesus. You can think that you have Jesus fi figured out and then he'll offend you. And I like when Jesus offends me because it causes me to see differently. Because I start to realize that, you know, this relationship with God, and we should realize this, it's not about how much scripture we know. It's about how much scripture we live. It's not about how much we think we know. It's about how well we love people. He didn't say, you'll know my disciples by how many scriptures you know. He didn't say that. He said, you will, they will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. But how can we love one another if we're so quick to tear each other down? In fact, in that same verse that I read earlier in, in James, it says that someone that can't control their tongue is a deceived believer. So what I'm trying to say is Jesus held his judgments against sinners, but he spoke out against people who thought they were righteous in their own eyes. A Pharisee, from the time they were about eight years old, began training in the Torah. By the time they were older, like I said, they could memorize it. So you're talking about people who were zealous. You, you, you talk about know the scriptures. They didn't have scriptural breaks like verses like we do. They could read the entire scroll to you. So my, my whole point today is they didn't start off wanting to be deceived. Do you think a Pharisee said, you know, I'll go to Hebrew school so I can be deceived, and later I just want to kill the Messiah? 
No, that wasn't their intention. Do you know that when they crucified Jesus, they thought they were doing the right thing? And what happens is, is the church has crucified people thinking they're doing the right thing. And instead of working for God, they're working for the other person who is the accuser of the brethren. Jesus, let me just point this out. Jesus is not the accuser of the brethren. Satan is. Am I right? We're allowed to judge behavior, but we're never allowed to judge people. So this is what I believe are the two main forms of religion in our day. It's what I call routine Christianity, okay? So let's think of a pendulum real quick, right? We always say the pendulum swings both ways, right? So on one side, you have this religion where it's routine religion. This is what I mean. And please help me out if I'm right, because, you know, at least this is my perspective. We have that good old American thing. It's American to go to church on Sunday. It's American to put the sticker on the back of your car. It's American to wear the T-shirt that says Jesus saves, right? It's popular to go to church, right? It's popular to go through the motions, but many people are going through the motions without ever having a real relationship with God. I can prove it because all, all, that type of religion, all that is is behavior modification. Act like this. Just be a good southern boy with good manners and go to church on Sunday. That's not what being a Christian is. By definition, a Christian is a follower of Jesus, right? But, but in many places, it's just routine. You know, I go to church. I check it off on my checklist. Well, I went to church. Look, you need to know why you go to church. Which, by the way, that's the main question that Jesus always asks. Why do you go to church? That's what he asked the Pharisees. Why do you say this? Why do you think that? Because Jesus wants to know the why in your heart. Do you just do what you do because you've been taught to do that? Or do you know why you do that? Am I right? I see so many Americans going through the motions. And how do I know this is taking place, okay? Because, like I said, religion is behavioral modification, and Jesus is into heart transformation, okay? Routine Christianity says, I do this because I just, I have to. Relationship says, I do this because I want to. Okay, am I right? But how do, so how do I know that, that this is taking place? Well, let's see. All across America, we have churches that refuse to preach on sin. They refuse to talk about hell. They refuse to talk about heaven. They don't talk about the Holy Spirit. They don't talk about anything. They don't want to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. They don't want to talk about healing. Their goal is just to make people happy. That is what we call routine Christianity. Let's just come here. Let's feel good. But no one ever changes. That is dangerous. But listen, I'm not going to spend too much time there because this is a Spirit-filled church. Am I right? Hallelujah. Let me talk about this other side, okay? By the, by the way, in that type of, 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 of thing, what happens is people become familiar with a God that they barely know. That's what happens. You become familiar with God, but you don't know him. Amen. Right? It's just like another thing that we do every week. Coming to church every Sunday, it's definitely the best thing you can do, but know why you come to church. When you lift your hands, why do you lift your hands? Know why. Get the why part right. Because that type of religion is form without power. This is what the Pharisees had. Jesus showed up on the scene, and he could heal the sick, cast out, do all this stuff, and they couldn't do anything because they didn't have real authority. Am I right? But yet, Jesus gave it to his disciples and said, you know, I give you this authority, right? Okay. Last example for that, because this is a good example, because I've seen this happen in religion. Prayer, right? Say prayer. Prayer is supposed to be an enjoyable experience, but unfortunately for many people it's not. Because we're supposed to get our joy in prayer from answered prayer and relationship. But religion teaches you to, to worship the form of prayer. 
So in other words, you worship the discipline of prayer rather than the breakthrough of prayer. You see the difference? Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and says, why do you pray on the street corner for everybody can see? Go, go pray in your closet. You see, he said, why do you do that? Why, 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 why? We should get so much joy through our prayer lives, not be more miserable. Some people come out of prayer looking worse than they went in, right? Because religion, religion teaches you pray because you have to. Jesus says pray because you want to. Right? Okay, moving on. And the last, this is what I'm touching, the crux is here. This is the Christianity. I know this may seem like a very, I could have probably come up with a very, a very good word and a good title, but I couldn't think of any other way to describe this form of Christianity. What is what mainly I think the Pharisees functioned in. Bad religion. Say bad religion. Bad religion. I believe, yes, that there is spirits behind religious spirits, right? But I also believe that sometimes people were just ignorant. Right? I believe sometimes that racism and a religion goes hand in hand because they both have their roots in ignorance and pride. Okay? A lot of the same spirits, I'm just telling you, they, they function in the same ways. Let me explain. Okay? Prideful Christianity. Say prideful Christianity. Now, again, these Pharisees started off wanting to do what's right. We, that, that, let's be honest. You know, they didn't go in there saying we want to be deceived and later we want to kill our Messiah. That's not what they thought. They honestly thought they were doing the right thing most of the time, right? Unfortunately. But because of religion, it caused them to misinterpret the Bible, right? It caused them to misinterpret how to live, how to worship God, and all these things like that. What's ironic about this is that isn't it ironic that Jesus was the living word of God, right? The same person who wrote their Torah, they condemned him by his word that he wrote. Isn't that weird? And Jesus let them. That's powerful. Because we're about to get into what destroys religion. What happens in a pharisaical environment is it becomes very judgmental. And let me explain why. Religion also becomes judgmental because when your righteousness rests in your efforts, then you must protect your reputation at all times because you must make people think you're perfect. If you're caught up in a religious system, you're caught up in worrying about what people think about you all the time. So you, even if things are going on in your life, you can't let anybody know because then they'll think you're not perfect. But Paul told us to boast in our weakness. He said, when I am weak, he is made strong. That was the whole point. The Pharisees thought that they could be righteous through their own works. Jesus said, if anything, the Torah was supposed to teach you that you needed a Savior. The Torah was supposed to make you dependent upon God. Instead, the Torah made you prideful and arrogant, and you stood there because you had all the scriptures memorized, but you didn't know what they meant. And what happens, let me, let me explain what happens when, when we allow people to create beliefs, systems for us that God did not implement. Then what we're saying is, God, our word is more powerful than yours. And in the scriptures, there's a curse. It's in, it's in the Old Testament, and it's also mentioned in Revelation. He said, do not take away or add to my word. There's a curse that applies to it. And what bad religion does is, is it puts those burdens on you and commandments on you that God didn't give you, and it actually brings a curse. Because only his word can bring life. Am I making sense today? 
And what happens is when we start believing our own belief systems above God, we're actually worshiping ourselves. Because we're, what we're saying is we got it all figured out. God doesn't, and I, I know better than God. Then that becomes idolatry. Ooh, this is, I'm, I'm closing just a few moments. Can I have a few more moments? This is why you will always see Pharisees condemning people because they don't know anything about mercy or justice. <laughs> and I, I, I would say that if you're prideful about being spiritual, you're not spiritual, you're just prideful. Because the two are paradoxical. They don't go together. You cannot, the definition of spirituality is humility and dependence upon God. Right? And dependence upon his spirit. And I would say that in Jesus' time, so religion had become realistic, but this is what we need to realize today, and this is the crux, is Jesus is perfect theology. And what do I mean by that? His life, his message, what he taught, what he believed, and the, what he showed us to do, that is our perfect theology. Anything that you, Bill Johnson said this one time, and this was incredible, anything that we think we know about God that we can't find in Jesus, we ought to question. Amen. So, this is why, and I just explained why religion becomes so judgmental is because you, we're always having to feel like we're perfect by man's standards. So we have to please everybody, right? So the Pharisees, they, instead of getting their identity from their relationship with God, they got their identity from their doctrines and beliefs that weren't even from God, right? And so what happens is, is Jesus comes on and he messes all that up. He, says, he said, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees, right? Then how many times he said that? He told them, watch out. Don't be like them. Don't do it then. Why? Because they were caught up in that routine, and they were also caught up in that, that deception and that pride that says they were, they were doing the, the right things for the wrong reasons. And that's what religion does. It gets you to do the right things for the wrong reasons in the wrong ways. But Jesus wants us to do the right things in the right ways for the right reasons. Am I right? La, la, last analogy. I was driving one day. God, God, God spoke to me one day in the car. I'm about to close, guys. Actually, I've been about three or four minutes. I'm going to close. So, you know when a preacher says that, that's like ten minutes. But no, I'm just kidding. I was driving in the car, I was driving in the car one day. And anybody that knows me knows I have a speeding problem. Okay? Okay? Like, seriously, pray for me. I, I may have a speed demon. I don't know. Okay? So... So, I, I, have a speeding, I have a speeding problem. And I remember I, I got tired of getting tickets. And so, it had been like six months since I got a ticket. And one day I was obeying, I mean, I was, I was actually obeying the speed limit. I was driving the speed limit. And I'll never forget that God spoke to me because it was very odd that, that God spoke to me like this. But God speaks to us in ways we understand, right? If he can speak through a donkey, <laughs> he can speak to me. So, um, <laughs> I'm driving and God said, why are you obeying the speed limit? And I, I didn't think it was God at first, but that, that thought kept going in my heart. And sometimes God speaks to us through repetitive thoughts in our heart. And I answered back and I said, Lord, because I don't want a ticket. And he says, that's a poor reason to obey. He says, you should, you should obey it because you respect your country. You see the difference? Religion makes you feel obligated to avoid the penalty. Relationship says, I don't even see the penalty because I have the love. If you love God, listen, if you love God, you'll do it anyway. The only way that religion can get people to do what it wants to do is to punish them. That's the only way they know how. Jesus says, hey, I'll love you, I'll love you, and I'll correct you. Let's go. I'll love you, and I'll correct you. Religion says punishment, 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 all the time punishment. 
That's the only way religion knows how to, it, 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 it twists people's arm until they do what's right. And God showed me that day, I shouldn't obey the speed limit because I don't want a ticket. I should obey the speed limit because I love my country. We shouldn't obey God because we don't want to go to hell. Obviously, we don't want to go to hell. That's a good reason to obey Jesus. But that shouldn't, that shouldn't be the only reason. Should I just obey Jesus my whole life because I don't want to go to hell? Or should I obey Jesus my whole life because I love him and I love him with all my heart? I'm going to close with Peter. We all know Peter, right? The story of Peter. Peter's one of the easiest persons to preach about because he's so animated. He's got all kinds of stuff going on, right? One minute he's like God's number one man. The next minute he's chopping ears off. That's why we have to be very careful in making our assessment of people because God will use people we don't think he can use, right? Okay, well, I'd like to point out something about Peter as I'm closing is this. For years I've heard it taught about the disciples this, and I've even read books about them. Uh, People saying, you know, Jesus called these poor sinner boys to follow him. You know, they were just a bunch of sinners, and they didn't even know God, and he just called them. Well, that may be true for some of them, but my Bible lets me know a little something different about Peter, right? His brother Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist in the wilderness. Andrew comes and tells Peter, hey, we found the Christ, the Messiah. Now, let me ask you something. Why would Andrew go tell Peter about the Messiah if, Pe- if Peter wasn't looking for God? Peter was, uh, I, I'd, I'd like to present to you today that Peter was a religious guy. He was a spiritual guy. He just didn't like the religious system. He was just like the mother disciples. They didn't want anything to do with that. They wanted a real context to know God. And so Peter, Andrew tells Peter, hey, we found the Messiah, finally. Peter dropped his business in a like that. Why would somebody drop a business like that, follow Jesus, if they weren't searching for something? And let me tell you something awesome about Peter. Jesus said, okay, Peter, you can be the rock of my church, right? You know? but, but Peter fell into the same trap that the, the Pharisees fall into. Oh, Jesus, I'm your right-hand man, man. I know all your doctrines, bro. I know everything you said. I got it memorized right here. I'm never going to leave you. I'm your number one guy. Look, man, I got it going on. Two days later, Jesus gets arrested. I don't know him. I don't know Jesus. I don't know him. No, I've never seen him before. Never seen him. What happened? That's one, one was pride. That was pride. Jesus said, you don't know what you're saying, man. You know? This is what I love about Jesus, though. Didn't? If Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, he's God. When he called Peter, he knew Peter would deny him. Now, denying Jesus is a big offense because he said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father, right? That's what he said. And, and, and what Jesus, obviously, he knew that was a, a terrible offense. Jesus knew he was going to deny him when he called him. That's why we have, to not, we have to be careful not to condemn somebody while they're in their process. Because if somebody... A Pharisee would have came along and aborted Peter's destiny. But Jesus said, no, he's got destiny. This is why. Because when Jesus calls us, he doesn't call, treat us as we are now. He treats us how we all will be in the end. He gives us the dignity and love that we don't deserve. So in other words, when, when, Christ, when Jesus was looking at Peter, he wasn't just seeing his, his mistakes. He was seeing everything that Peter would become. So he saw Peter here even though he was here. So what happens is I love, I love and the passion of the Christ as Jesus is getting arrested, right? And it says that Peter, it says that Peter looked into the face of Jesus, right? In the movie. We don't know if it really took place like that. Instead of, but Jesus, did Jesus condemn Peter? No. He kept loving him. Who did Peter eventually become? Who he was called to be? Why? Because he had the best teacher. 
Religion teaches us that punishment is the best teacher. Jesus says love and correction is the best teacher. I mean, even Jesus, while he's on the cross, is saying, Lord, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. That type of forgiveness and transformation changes people. The same way in John chapter 8, when the woman caught in the act of adultery. They could have stoned her. Jesus could have let them stone her. But instead, he kneeled down, wrote in the sand, and he said, he that had no sin cast the first stone. Why? Because they were guilty of the same charge. She was committing adultery in the natural. They were committing adultery in the spiritual, right? And Jesus said, honestly, guys, he goes, if, I had, if we were playing by those rules, I'd have to kill all of you because all of you have sinned. But he said, he said, I have not come to condemn you. John chapter 3, verse 17. I have not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, There will be a judgment seat of Christ one day. Listen to me. There will be a judgment seat of Christ one day, but not today. Today he is not judging or condemning. Today he is saving. The mission of the church is not to condemn people. It's to save people. Jesus will handle the judging after the end of the age. But right now he called us to save people, to help people, to rescue people. And it's not, Jesus doesn't take it easy on sin when With the woman caught in the act of adultery, he told her, he said, you are forgiven, even though she didn't even ask for forgiveness. He told her, you're forgiven, go and sin no more. Because when people have an encounter with the real Jesus, not a religious system, they will fall in love. Christ compels them by his love. The Bible says, why do we love him? Because he first loved us. Okay? How did that woman go from being an adulterer to a believer that quickly because he loved her and gave her dignity when she didn't deserve it. We've got to stop crucifying people. That's not our job. Our job is to rescue people, to help people, to get them out of their situation. If we get joy from judging people, there's something wrong inside of us. If we get joy from condemning people, there's something wrong with me, not them. You understand? I should get more joy out of helping somebody than, and that's why it's easier to talk about somebody because it's easier to talk about somebody than to save them because to talk about somebody just means I have to be interested. To save them means I have to be invested into them. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ is invested in people. He died on the cross not so that we could, the, the church could become bad religion and play religious games. No, no, no. Because there is a real mission out there. There are people that need God. There's people in the church who have been hurt by bad religion and the name of God. And if you've been hurt by church today, I'm here to tell you it wasn't God that hurt you. It was, it was people. Amen. Because the church is full of imperfect people, right? Amen. But here's the bigger question. Who have we been a Pharisee from? Because you know, do you remember that one story? They tried to keep that one girl from going to Jesus. How many people have we kept from going to Jesus? I'm not saying take it easy on the truth. I believe in preaching the, the whole word of God, the whole word of God. I believe in it. And so did Jesus. He told people, go and sin no more. But what did he do first? He said, I love you. Most people don't even don't know that or believe that. They don't know anything about that because all they've ever known is judgment. And Jesus said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He said, I'm the sacrifice. I'll give mercy. Amen. So to avoid bad religion, we have to avoid those same pitfalls. We have to keep our relationship with God authentic. Amen.
We have to avoid that routine. We've got to avoid that pride. And I think there's that middle ground where we stay, we stay humble, we stay in humility, and we say, God, I need you today like I need you the first day you saved me. It's not like I got saved and all of a sudden I got it all figured out. No, no, no. I still need a Savior today as much as I did that day. Salvation is not an event anyway. It's a process. The Bible says that you're saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. He says, walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. So we teach people, be perfect right now. Look, just obey Jesus today. Take it day by day. Love God. Obey God. He will work in salvation in you. Amen. Amen. So I don't know about you, but I'm fired up about this because it's time that we kick bad theology out of our lives, out of our, out of our churches. And we need to get back to the heart of the gospel. Amen. We need to replace criticism for tears and condemnation for, with prayers for people. When you see something wrong with somebody, pray for them. I don't agree. You know, I don't agree with everything that happens in the White House, but I pray for Barack Obama. You hear me? I pray all the time. God, let him have an encounter with an angel. Let him hear your word. I don't care if it's a Republican or a Democrat. I pray for the president. Amen. I pray for his cabinet. You know what I'm trying to say? We need to get back to that Christianity that wins the world over by our love. Because we are known more for what we stand against and not what we stand for. The world knows what we stand against. What do we stand for? Amen. That is our mission. That is our mission. 